define sustainability, odds are your definition is completely different from the next person's. Appalachian State University's Director of Sustainability, Dr. Lee Ball, sits down with his guests to explore the many ways in which sustainability affects our lives. This is Find Your Sustainability. Hi, Bindu. Thanks for coming to talk to me today. Sure, my pleasure. So you have a really long title. Could you tell me that <laughs> again? It is really long. It's like my name tag is like a license plate that I wear. Um, I'm the Associate Vice Chancellor for Equity, Diversity, and Compliance and the University's Chief Diversity Officer and the University's Title IX Coordinator. Nice. You need mm-hmm. like a drop-down menu. On I your, really do. On your, on your little nameplate. I know. On my business card, it just says, I do stuff. <laughs> Good. Um, so is mine. <laughs> Today's conversation is centered around one topic, the intersection between sustainability and social justice. Well, one of the things I was jotting down some notes last night about sustainability and social justice, just generally and sort of separately. And one of the themes that came up was this idea that sustainability is very future looking and social justice is very now. So when you look at it in that way, you almost think that they don't connect because one is we're hoping that the future is better than it is now. And social justice is all about making someone's current state better than it is now. But frankly, no one is going to focus on sustainability if they're not in a situation that is fair and just now. So advocates for sustainability, I would argue, have to focus on social justice. Otherwise, no one's going to be worried about the future if they don't feel like they're getting a fair shake now. Right. I mean, there's so many people all over the world that are just struggling to make it to their next meal, figure out where they're going to sleep. Yeah. I think a lot of people think that that's in faraway places, Mm -hmm. but it's right here in our backyard in Watauga County in the high country, and people are really struggling. It's sad that that reality exists and our students face it and our staff face it here at the university and probably some of our faculty as well. Sustainability and social justice are also sort of answers to the same question. What do we want our future to look like? What do we need in order to have um, a future that we're proud of? And I think people could answer that question with both sustainability ideals and also with social justice ideals. And I think if we start framing the conversation in that way, the connections are really easy to make between social justice and sustainability. Can you talk about some of the social justice initiatives on campus? Sure. So you mentioned before, and it's very true, Boone is a very unique area. And so we are not only reflective of sort of national conversations about race, about economic disparities, about gender disparities, but we're also this unique community that is very homogenous. So I feel like every national conversation is almost heightened here because there's such a small pool of people that are affected that the effect is almost exacerbated. Um, So right now, the conversations on campus have a lot to do with um, race, have a lot to do with gender, and also have a lot to do with LGBT issues. Those three are not unique to Boone, but I think the conversations have really increased in volume in the last, well, I've only been here a year, so in the last year at least. I've definitely noticed it increase, and it seems like people are aware that um, the people side of sustainability, the equity part of sustainability is a priority. 
and we have to celebrate our differences and we have to work together because we all have something to share and we have a lot to um, contribute to making the world a, a thriving and more sustainable place. So I've noticed over the you know past 14 years working here at the university that recently in the past, you know, probably two to three years, we've really put an emphasis and it seems like people are craving this discussion. Mm -hmm. Are you seeing that with students especially? Absolutely. Absolutely. Do you think, are you having a hard time making the connection with students between equity and sustainability or is it a national? It seems like they just get it. Awesome. I mean, it, it depends, but for the most part, it seems like they can get there pretty fast. If they don't understand it to begin with, you know, it doesn't take long to to lead them there, and then they'll have that aha moment, and and it seems like they're they're right there with you, and they're ready to they want to talk about these issues. You know, I think that the millennials is that where we are now? <laughs> what do they call the current group? <laughs> um, I think that the millennials um, they see each other as being just kind of one people. Like I said before, they celebrate their differences. Of course, that is not always the case, but it seems like a critical mass of people that are wanting to get along. Mm. So in talking to students in particular, particularly students who are really passionate about a particular social justice issue, um, I try to make the connection to other issues so that they see that their issue isn't in a vacuum. It is connected very seamlessly to other issues in our community, but other global issues also. And Sometimes the response I get, and validly so from students, is, yeah, but let's fix this first, and then I'll focus on the other stuff, on the global stuff, on the other stuff in our community, the environmental effects. I want this micro issue right. resolved. And so how would you respond or how do you respond to students who are making those? Yeah, I, I, would, um, I would encourage them to explore their connection to sustainability, you know, maybe practice articulating your own definition of sustainability and then encourage them to, um, it's okay that that is the area that they want to work in. Everyone, if you're passionate about working in the area of sustainability, then find your spot and um, try to push the envelope and make a difference. It's okay that you're, you know, that maybe you're focusing on one issue. Just as long as you understand the connection to maybe the environment, to sustainable economics, to culture, and to all the many different facets related to sustainability. Mm -hmm. So I, I would just encourage them to maybe not worry about that they're not making that connection. Mm -hmm. You know, just say, go out there, go for it. It's great. Celebrate, you know, that I would maybe say um, harness their power. A lot of us that do this work. Uh, tend to be a little idealistic and, <laughs> you know, by nature, potentially. And those students, you know, often are too, but, you know, they, they have a strong voice. And um, it's something that um, if they have an interest, people are going to pay attention. So I was wondering, um, let's talk a little bit about cultural diversity mm -hmm. and, and, um, and how it plays a role in innovation and creativity and just kind of exchange of ideas. Because you know, it's something that um, when you have a college campus, you have many cultures that are colliding. And so instead of, you know, marginalizing and instead of encouraging people to be like everyone else, how can we, you know, on, on this campus and this community kind of celebrate differences in culture? So one of the main things that I, I like to talk about and frame 
any conversation about diversity that I have is I think oftentimes we talk about diversity as the benefit to those marginalized groups when they are given the opportunity to be included. But it's so much more than that. It's the majority groups that are not getting a full experience because they're not being presented with ideas and cultures and experiences that are different from their own. So by diversifying our campus or any community that we're talking about, we're not just benefiting those groups that are now having the opportunity to be included. We're benefiting everyone because the more you have an opportunity for your ideas to be challenged, the more opportunity we have for new ideas to be part of the conversation, frankly, the better the outcome will be for whatever the project is. So cultural diversity, I think, has benefits that far expand beyond just the people that we are trying to include in the community. The ideas, the products, the research are all going to be better if the community is diverse. That is such a great point. You know, in a community like this, where we have kind of a dominant culture, it seems like we have these these smaller groups that are different and they come in, they have so much to contribute. How can we get the majority, if you will, how can we influence them? How do we get them to pay attention and see that there are other ideas and other ways of knowing and thinking and kind of relating to the world? Because they've been in their their box maybe since elementary school and they come to Appalachian and they, they probably don't think they're expected to change. They just go into class and doing their thing. It's going to seem like a trite answer, but we need to make it normal. It shouldn't be a nice to have. It's a need to have. If we want to be competitive, frankly, you're not going to be if you're just hearing the same ideas that you've been hearing for the last 20 years of your life. The world is moving way too fast for that to be sustainable. Yes, yes. <laughs> so I think by making it normal, instead of just talking about it, instead of just saying, hey, everyone, we, having a diverse community is going to benefit you in all of these ways. We need to show people the boon of having a diverse community. Highlight schools that are doing it better than we are. Highlight areas that are doing it better than we are and show the innovation and the collaboration that those communities have. It's not hard to find examples of it. They're everywhere. Any community, frankly, that is being touted for success in any endeavor The fact that their underlying diversity has changed, I would bet money is a major factor in that. Right, right. It seems like we need to help people to be comfortable being uncomfortable Mm -hmm. because a lot of people are just in their daily life, they're associating with a lot of the same people. And, you know, how do we stretch them out of that kind of mindset? We could look at other campuses, you know, that are doing great things and look at them as a model. You know, but how do we how do we bring that here? You know, are we doing exchanges? Are we doing roundtable discussions? Are we doing big events mm-hmm. in you know in Sanford Mall? I'm just you know trying to think outside the box yeah. here. Recruiting more people from diverse backgrounds is important, but we can't forget the community that we already have here. And by fostering the community of diverse scholars and students that we have here, like attracts like. So if we foster them and make them successful and show that Boone is a place that you can thrive, more people will want to come here. So I think making sure that their voices are heard in every area, in the classroom, in policymaking, in decision-making, in programs, in speaker series, making sure that a diverse array of voices is everywhere will make Boone and Appalachian seem like a place where more people who don't look like 
the majority of the members of our community um, would feel welcome. Yeah. So with it seems like just about every decision we make here on campus, we have to be wearing different lenses. Mm-hmm. We have different goals and priorities and interests. So, you know, I put on my sustainability glasses when I'm thinking about a purchase or thinking about any kind of a, a decision within, you know, our office or something on campus that includes social justice, it includes sustainability. So as long as we are remembering that priority during every decision, then I think what you just said will continue to filter into the fabric of the university at a deeper and deeper level. And we just need to demand it, I guess. And you bring up a good point where diversity isn't an add-on. It will make the decision better. So if you are thinking about diversity of thought, diversity of experience, as you're making a decision about a speaker to bring on campus or the readings to use in your classroom, you will have a better outcome. It isn't a checkbox. It is you are making a better decision by using that as a variable in your decision-making process. And getting that out there, I think, will be really helpful. Yeah. So um, we've spoken about diversity of groups and races and kind of religious beliefs and socioeconomic backgrounds, sexual orientation, gender identity. What about biological diversity and and how that relates? Is is that anything that you have spent any time thinking about, how that part of the diversity kind of realm intersects with um, this conversation? That's not my wheelhouse, but (laughs) we can start talking about it now. So what do you mean by biological diversity? So um, the variety of living systems in an environment, the variety of species in Mm -hmm. an environment, you know, biological diversity is just another aspect of the diversity. And I just thought we could just talk about it a little bit. Mm. I'm going to sort of go around the question, but I think it gets to it. Um, A lot of our students here have grown up in either the Boone area or grown up in areas that are very similar to Boone. So I think making sure that they have the opportunity to experience areas that look different, feel different, have different interactions, different people, different systems, all of that is incredibly important. Right. Yeah. The great answer. I hope so. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. So, I mean, you know, the um, it's, it basically is the diverse array of ecological and human cultures that sustaining and resilient world is built upon. And, and that's another kind of definition of diversity. I wonder if we could talk a little bit also about the, the socioeconomic piece. And I just know a lot of people are struggling in our area because it's a tourist area mm-hmm. in addition to being a university town. And we rely on tourism and the service industry. We don't have a lot of uh, other types of industry in the high country, specifically in Watauga County. And so a lot of, you know, the ski industry is obviously a big one. It's seasonal. But I know a lot of people struggle. And I just, you may hear about it some in your work, your your day-to-day work. Mm -hmm. I was wondering if that was something that we could discuss a little. Absolutely. Socioeconomic disparities, I think, is probably one of the areas of diversity that it's such a clear link, at least for me, to sustainability. So when there's high disparity, so people who have a lot, they're using more of our resources, whatever those resources are that we're talking about. And then when there are people who have very little and are just struggling to get by, they don't have the luxury to think about making the best decisions for sort of 
the future preservation of resources. They're in the day-to-day, I just need to get by. So when we keep making that disparity wider and wider, we are moving further and further from our ideals of sustainability. So socioeconomic disparity and diversity, and frankly, just underlying economic fairness has such a clear link to sustainability. Yeah. The, the fairness part is something that I really resonate with. It, I always feel like that if something is going to be sustainable, a relationship uh, between you and your food or you and your work or you know you and your energy systems, that it has to be a win-win. You have to benefit. They have to benefit. And as long as it's relatively balanced and equal, then you have something that's sustainable and that could potentially thrive and be resilient in the future. Mm-hmm. When people are broke, they're, like you said, they're mm-hmm. not making the best choice for the environment and also for their own health. Sure. And you know, we see food deserts here in Watauga County in the high country. People are, are shopping at convenience stores because it is convenient and it's cheap. Mm-hmm. And um, that is really um, disheartening. And, and it's something that um, I don't know how we can really educate our students, our staff, our faculty to think about figuring out ways to do better. Mm-hmm. It's really difficult. And I'm just kind of rambling here, but the, um, the behavioral piece of sustainability is a big challenge for us in our office. It's something that we're dealing with every day. It's how do you get someone to change their mindset Mm -hmm. and to make a different decision and to maybe open their minds, open their hearts and think about a person differently or a food choice differently or a recycling behavior differently. That that's really tough for us. And it's probably something that you deal with on a regular basis is trying to get people to um, be open-minded and less judgmental so that they can benefit from our differences, mm-hmm. you know, on a cultural and, and kind of social justice level. Can you speak to that, kind of the behavioral? Yeah, there's not a, uh, I mean, unfortunately, there isn't a one-size-fits-all in having that conversation with people. So for certain groups, I will make a plea to their idealism to, don't we want to be in a more just, a fairer place where everyone has the opportunity to succeed. And that works for a subset of people, and that will resonate well with a subset of people. But then for another subset, and validly so, that sort of Pollyanna idealism argument isn't going to resonate with them. You can make that connection to your life will be affected. You individually will be affected by this continuing disparity. So when we were talking about the socioeconomic disparity and and the effect that that has on the choices made by some of the poorest members of our community, that affects everyone. When the poorest group of our community uses resources in a way, and validly so on their part, uses resources in a way that does not think about the sustainability of it, the effect that it has on the community, the effect that it has on the environment, everyone else is affected by those decisions. So by bringing that poorest subset up into just a living standard, a fairer way of living, the decisions that they make are no longer influenced solely by needing to survive, but are able to be influenced by other factors that cause them to make better decisions. Right, right. In your position as the diversity officer for the university, um, if you had any kind of grand, big, bold ideas, what would they be? 
our campus would look different. The people on our campus would look different. There would be less focus on selling the importance of diversity, and we would just do it. Right. Um, people from different places that look different, that have different experiences, would be on this campus. That would be great. We, would, I mean, yeah. I can imagine us having a lot of ideas that are emerging, and I could see us as kind of a thought leader within the university system. I wonder if we could create a smaller version of that somehow. And um, I don't know, in a conference or if, using the people that we have on campus and putting together an event. I, mean, I know that we have the diversity festival mm -hmm. and um, different events. I was wondering if that, is there something that we're already doing that I'm not aware of or if that's something that we could do? So one of the things about those one-off events is it's great for the day yeah. and then it's we, gone. Yeah, it's sort of the effect of it can be sort of fleeting. So this year, we're trying to look at those programs in a different sort of way and trying to make them more sustainable. So some of the things that we're doing and thinking about with that sort of lens is this concept of we're doing a sustained dialogue institute. And so students will form groups that meet throughout the year to talk about social justice issues. And the groups themselves ideally will be diverse groups so that the conversations and the connections made aren't a one-time conversation, but will sustain throughout the year and hopefully relationships will be formed, new ways of thinking will be achieved, new perspectives will be shared. So that's the goal of something like that. Or we're trying to revamp something as basic as our mentoring program. Right now, our, we have a lot of programs around campus that have upperclassmen mentoring first-year students, which is great. It makes a lot of sense, particularly for first-year students who are students of color being mentored by upper-class students of color. That's a great partnership. That's a great relationship that we want to be made. The addition that we're doing this year is that those upper-class students are then going to be connected to professional mentors. And importantly, those professional mentors are going to be connected to those upper-class students, not just based on whether or not those professionals are people of color, but we're going to be very intentional about asking those upper-class mentors, what do you want to do? What do you want to do after college? Where do you want to work? What, where do you want to go to graduate school? What are your interests? So that those connections are made. Connections that are made on more variables than just we identify with each other because we're both people of color right. are going to be sustainable. Those are going to be those the relationships that lead to internships, job opportunities, graduate school recommendations. Those are the connections we want to make. Will those mentors be both on campus and off campus? Yeah, exactly. So those mentors really we, we're going to rely on what the students need. So they'll be filling out a sort of fulsome, the upperclassmen will be filling out a fulsome survey about what do you want to do? Where do you want to go? Where do you want to work? And then depending on what those responses are, our job as educators is to go out and hit the pavement and try to find and match our students with people who can really help them. Um, could you tell us a little bit about your kind of day-to-day -day work in your office and, and kind of what your responsibilities are sure. here at the university? No day is the same. Because I wear a couple of hats, which I think every administrator at this university wears a couple of hats. So my whole title is Associate Vice Chancellor of Equity, Diversity, and Compliance, Chief Diversity Officer, and Title IX Coordinator. So it's a couple of different 
categories. So I think the overarching thing, all of my days are all about meeting with students, faculty, and staff that oftentimes are not having their best days. They're having an experience that is making them feel unwelcome, or they've experienced on the Title IX side, they've experienced um, some form of sexual violence. So my job I see as when you're having a really bad day and everything seems overwhelming, trying to provide a clear path to some sort of resolution. So that's sort of the overarching thing that I do. And then besides the the meetings with students and faculty and staff who are having the really bad days, um, I'm trying to also put into place policies and practices that mitigate the effects of those really bad days for our community members. So your your job, from my perspective, seems kind of intense <laughs> and and it's heavy at yeah, times emotionally, is. I'm sure. Do you have uh, any stories or experiences that are really upbeat and positive that you could share with us that you would maybe want to celebrate? Yeah, every day, every day, particularly on the student side, I get to work with students who are incredibly passionate about social justice issues and frankly want to change the world. So that's really exciting to work every day with a student that's going to have an aha moment, that's going to do something or make a connection that they're super excited about. And if I could take one one millionth of ownership of setting them on that path, that's a really good career. Wow, that's great. So where were you before you came to Appalachian State? I was at the University of Delaware for about five years. Okay. Mm -hmm. And uh, did, what was your role there? So I guess in, in either me or the arena that I'm in, it's always sort of this moving thing. So I started at UD as um, legal counsel, and then I sort of morphed into this equity and diversity work and then morphed into the Title IX work and then sort of pushed it all together and was the director of policy compliance and equity at UD. Okay. So mm -hmm. your legal counsel work, were you always kind of drawn to equity and social issues with, uh, with students? I think that's also why I'm so excited about working in higher education. The spark for me for social justice work was ignited in college, and that has sustained throughout my career. So to see that in students and know that that, that spark can often be not be fleeting, but could really change the direction of their lives is really, really, really exciting. Um, if I had to pick a moment of why I engaged in this work is um, when I was in college, I worked at the Civil Rights Project. And the Civil Rights Project had sort of two tracks. And during my time working there, I worked on both sides of the fence. One side was research side. So everyone working there had their PhDs and were doing research in civil rights issues, social justice issues. The other side of it were people who all had their JDs and were working on the legal advocacy side of it. And I decided to go to law school because I thought the JD side of the house just seemed really cool. So um, that sort of set me on, on the path to doing this work. I love hearing about people's stories and how they got to where they are now. Yeah. Um, are you teaching a class? Nope. No, I'd love to get you in the classroom. Awesome. Yeah, I'd love to. I'd love to. I mean, yeah. I have taught. I just yeah. am not teaching It'd be great. right at this minute. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure you, you have a lot of free time to dedicate <laughs> yeah. towards a class. But so. I, lo I love that part. That's that's so fun. Anytime I get to engage with students, it's, I eat it up. Yeah, well, we're going to have to look for multiple different ways to get you into the classroom. I think that um, hopefully people listening to this podcast will invite you to come to talk to their class. There's a lot of... Um, so there's so many opportunities on campus to to speak to classes and yeah. 
we'll have to um, explore that a little more. Absolutely. Yeah, you mentioned that my job can be pretty intense, and it can. It can be. And so that can be sort of draining. But the more opportunities that I have to engage with students about what they want to do, I mean, that just refills that inspiration tank pretty quickly. Right. Do you have students that just kind of pop in, wander in your office and have like really great ideas? I mean, it happens to us all the time. You know, Mm -hmm. students are like, hey, have you ever thought about composting on campus? You know, and we're like, yeah, we've thought about that once or twice. And do you do you have similar encounters where students, you know? Yes. Yes. One of the negatives about having such a sort of jam-packed schedule of meeting after meeting after meeting is that I'm not just in my office sort of available as often as I'd like to be. But when I am, yes, I have um, students come in. I mean, I have a a couple of students uh, later on in my schedule today to talk about different ideas they have about how we can do things better, how we can make the LGBT center more inclusive, how we can how we can support students that are homeless, how we can support students that are first generation. All of those ideas are awesome. Yeah. Right. So um, let's talk about students being homeless a little bit. Mm-hmm. I have encountered them in the past, um, uh, graduate students living in the woods. But um, what, what are some of your experiences related to that? But beyond the kind of um, classic notion of couch surfing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we need to look at homelessness as so much more than just not having a permanent address. So threshold, we want all of our students to be successful. We want all of our students to be able to find an endeavor during their four or five years here that they feel passionate about. That's a lot to expect of someone who's worried about where they are going to stay. Are they going to be safe at night? Forget expecting of a student, that's a lot to expect from anybody. So if we as educators want our students to be successful, we have to support the whole student. And if a student is homeless, that's the bulk of their psychic energy is spent on worrying about that. So if we can just support them and help them find resources to connect them to housing options, if we can offer them something on campus, if we can make sure that they know that there are people that can help them figure things out so that they're not sort of just flapping in the wind on their own, I think that goes really far. So um, there are a lot of people that we're not seeing out there. We're not seeing the homeless. We're not seeing the sexually abused. How, how do we see them? You know, how do we encourage people to take a deep breath and have the opportunity to maybe listen, um, maybe put themselves out there as someone that could be a person that someone may approach and talk about struggles that they're having? That's a great question. The first step is to be self-reflective and make sure you are a safe place for a person to feel comfortable sharing with. So rather than sort of you or me or other officers on this campus traipsing out students who are from whatever marginalized group we're talking about to share their experiences, we need to make sure that the community that they're sharing those experiences with are empathetic, are ready to hear their full stories. So I think that requires a level of self-reflection on everyone's part. The other thing that I would say is those students are here. They're, They're here. So I would encourage our students to, I I did this exercise, 
might have even been in high school, but it's it sort of stayed with me. This exercise of if if something really awesome happened to you, list the seven people that you would tell first. And then on the flip side, if something really awful happened to you, list the seven people you would tell first. Oftentimes there'll be a lot of overlap in those two lists. But take those lists of 14 people and then really look at them. Look at that list and see if there's on a very sort of first level, are there people that are different races, different ethnicities, different experiences, different ages? If they're not, that's a really good sign that your worldview may not be as broad as it could be. And the best way to do that is for you to go out and to engage with other experiences rather than waiting for people who are different from you to enter your world. You enter theirs. College Campus is a great way to do that. We have hundreds of clubs and organizations and events. You, you mentioned it earlier, be comfortable being uncomfortable. Go to events where you don't know a single person. Go there, meet someone, tell them your story, and then they'll be more comfortable to tell you theirs. Find your sustainability is a production of the University Communications Department at Appalachian State. It's hosted by our Director of Sustainability, Dr. Lee Ball. The show is produced by Troy Tuttle and Megan Hayes. Dave Blanks records, edits, and mixes. Pete Montaldi and Alex Waterworth are our web team. Find more episodes of this and other interesting podcasts at AppalachianMagazine.org or check us out on iTunes. Just search for Appalachian State University under podcasts.